Philippians chapter 1. We read the word of our Lord from the epistle. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making a request for you, all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I had you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent and that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Let us pray. O God, protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong and without whom nothing is holy. Increase and multiply upon us your mercy, that with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through those things that are temporal that we may not lose those things that are eternal. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Last week as we were looking at Paul's second letter to Timothy, I I noted to you that he begins his letters always with a salutation that includes a prayer of blessing for his hearers, those who are receiving his letter. And that prayer always includes both grace and peace, and it always makes reference to God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here again, as we begin Philippians chapter 1, we find his letter to the church at Philippi, beginning much in the same way, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we ought to know something about the church at Philippi in order to better understand what Paul is saying to them. The first thing we ought to know is their response to the hearing of the gospel through Paul's ministry. Their response is, uh, it's a positive response. Uh, In Philippi, Paul, Paul finds a church that yields themselves to the mercy and grace of God. They give their hearts to Christ. They... If you read his letter, it's just four chapters. It's very easy to read in one sitting. It'll take you just a few minutes this afternoon when you do that. Um, If you read it, you find that he's writing to a church that's got a whole lot put together. This is a good church. This is a strong church. This is not a, 
a, a sick and diseased church like you have in his first letter to the Corinthians. This is a positive church. Their response to the gospel was what you would hope for. Their response to Paul's ministry was what he was longing for. And he calls them here partners. He notes their partnership in his ministry of suffering and his ministry of proclaiming the gospel and finding the gospel confirmed and defended in the world. He considers these people brothers and sisters in the faith. They are partners together with him. They have shared financially even with Paul and his ministry. They have shared with other churches, even the church at Jerusalem, which was suffering, especially financially. And so he's writing to a church that's not just full of corruption. It's not a church that's full of disease and sickness and sin. He's writing to a church that is pretty healthy. A church that has responded to the Gospel in a positive way. And a church that is living faithfully for the Lord Jesus, even sharing in Paul's ministry. Twice he mentions the term grace. And when Paul speaks of grace, he's not merely talking about a feeling that God has for certain people. Grace in the theology of Paul is not simply the unmerited favor of God. Yes, it includes unmerited favor, but for Paul... It is so much bigger than just unmerited favor. It's not just something that's undeserved. Grace is the life and power of God toward His people. Grace is the life and power of God toward those that He has created. Grace that comes before salvation and grace that leads us through salvation and grace that brings us on into eternity. It is God's life toward us. It is His power toward us. How is it that a sinner can repent? Because God's grace enables him. How is it that we can yield our hearts to Jesus? Because His life is being given to us. His power is being given to us. His grace is toward us. Paul begins with that salutation. Grace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells them that they are partakers of of God's grace with Him. They are participating in this life of grace, this life and power of God extended toward His people. And this grace of God that Paul speaks of is like a great Niagara Falls of potential for those who would yield themselves under its weight. George MacDonald, the Scottish uh, pastor, from the late 1800s said, God is easy to please, but hard to satisfy. And here you have a a bit of that sort of language uh, happening in Paul's letter to the Philippians. He says that that he is praying to God, being confident of this very thing in verse 6, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. He says, God has begun a work in you. And He who began that work, He is able to perfect it. He is able to keep building upon that work. And He will not be satisfied until it's complete. He will not be satisfied with the, with his, the permeation of His grace in our lives till it permeates the entirety 
of our lives because He is easy to please. He will take what He can get. He will begin something in you. But He will be sure to complete it. And so again, the grace of God is like a great Niagara Falls. And if we would but put ourselves under the weight of those falls, we will find every ounce of our lives soaked by Him. In His salutation, He mentions also peace. And the promise of peace is a promise that runs throughout the Old Testament as God was preparing the people of Israel and was preparing the world for the Redeemer, the Messiah. You find also throughout Paul's letter, peace permeates the pages. In his salutations, he prays a blessing of peace upon his hearers. And peace is really the rest that comes from the reordering of life. It is the rest that comes to us when life has been put back together, when wrongs have been righted. It's not just the absence of conflict. Yes, it includes the absence of conflict, but sometimes we have peace in our lives even in the midst of great conflict. Things can be absolutely falling apart in your world, and somehow by the grace of God, you can find rest in the peace of God. Because He is able to reorder life. He's able to put things back together. He's the God that that sees our broken pieces and, and it seems like He delights in the challenge. Oh, I can fix that. My grace is sufficient for you. As broken and bruised as you are, I can heal I can put things back together. I can right what is wrong. This is the God who divides the sea and creates dry land. This is the God who, through the prophet Isaiah, said, I'll cause streams to pop up in the middle of the desert. This is the God who conquers the grave. And He promises us His peace. And He enables us through His grace. Paul tells the Philippians that he's praying two specific things for them. In verse 90, he begins, This is what I pray. First, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. Paul's prayer begins for the Philippians that they might be filled with love. That love might be overflowing in their lives. He tells them that he longs for them, not just because he has some kinship, some kindred spirit with them, not just because they are His buddies or His homies, but because the love and affection of Jesus is in His heart toward them. He says, Oh, how I long for you with the affections of Christ. God's love has been put in Paul's heart and is spilling out upon those that are partners with Him in ministry. Those that God has entrusted to him. 
And he prays for them that they would be filled with the love of God. That they might know how to live among others. That they might know how to live among one another. That that love that is filling up their hearts, that it might spill out into their lives. He, he has here kind of an inward to outward movement. That their hearts, that they might abound with the love of God so that in their daily living, so that in their interactions with others, so that as they live out this Christ life in the body of Christ, so that that love might have an effect upon their outer lives. This is a transformative love. This is a love enabled by the grace of God to fill up the human heart and to spill out into human, real human interactions and real human relationships. Paul says it's not enough just to have God's love. It's not enough just to be a beneficiary of His love. It's not enough just to say, okay, thank you, Lord, for that tap of grace that you've given me. Now I've had enough. He wants the believers to be filled with the love of Christ. To be abounding in that love. He wants them to go further up and further in. To not be satisfied with just having received Christ's love. To not think, okay, well, yeah, I've got Jesus' love in my heart. Okay. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Well, sure. Do you? What about that neighbor that aggravates you? What about that neighbor that completely disappoints you? What about that enemy? Do you pray for those who curse you? Bless those who spitefully use you. See, that's where when Jesus is talking about that second greatest commandment, which apparently can't be separated from the first because it's of like nature. That's where it, the rubber really hits the road for me. Like, oh, yeah, you know, pray, love your enemies? Okay. Yeah, your enemies. Pray for those who curse you. Okay, yeah, I can pray for them. But be a blessing to those who use you spitefully. See, when you re rearrange the words a little bit and kind of focus in on them and emphasize them a little bit, you realize, wow, man, that's, that's tough. To be a blessing to those who use you spitefully only when we're filled with the love of Christ, only when His love is abounding in our lives can that sort of love really, really be realized in our lives. Yes. But the direction of Paul's prayer is not just that they'd be filled with love, but notice what he says, that it would be filled with holiness. He goes on in the middle of verse 10. Secondly, that you may be sincere and without offense. Not just sincere. We normally think that means kind of like sensitive. But here he's talking about a, a, a life uh, of integrity. And, not, and by integrity, it's not just honesty. But it is a life that has been put back together. That is sincerely 
real and whole. In the Hebrew mind, it's, 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 it, it's a play off of the idea of purity. To be pure is to be one thing and one thing only. It's not to be mostly one thing. You know, I've got some water up here. This was not a, a planned object lesson, but I got a little glass or jar of water, glass jar of water here, and it looks like pure water, but it's not. I put, like I typically do on Sunday mornings, I put one drop of peppermint oil and one drop of spearmint oil. That way I have double mint water, right? And it tastes just like double mint gum. And that kind of takes me back to childhood because my Uncle Eddie at church every Sunday, he would have a pack of juicy fruit in his pocket and a pack of double mint gum in his pocket. And all of us kids, we'd be running down the halls of Riverside Church and, Uncle Eddie, Uncle Eddie. And, uh, you know, you guys have a, an Uncle David. I, we had an Uncle Eddie. He was my real uncle. But, uh, you know, the friends, they'd run up and he'd offer us a stick of gum. And so I associate juicy fruit gum and double mint gum with going to church on Sundays. So this is not pure water. It may look like it. It may seem like it. To the naked eye, you might think, oh, yeah, that's, that's all that is. You open it and smell it, you realize, whoa, that's kind of minty. You take a sip of it, oh, wow, that tastes like gum. Nice. But to be pure is to be one thing. To be sincere here in Paul's language. To be without offense means to be filled with holiness. Now we typically associate holiness with kind of a negative holiness. To be holy means you're not dirty. It means you're not messed up. It means you're not doing these things. It means you're not doing those things. But holiness is a positive characteristic. It involves the negative, yes. To be holy is to necessarily be not unholy. But holiness is also a positive. I could say it's to be filled with the love of God, and that's true, but that'd be kind of redundant. But here he says he wants us to abound with the love of Christ and to be, have our lives put back together. To yield ourselves so much to the grace of God that He is to make us sincere. That He is able to complete us. That He's able to reform us and refashion us in such a way that we can remain without offense even until the day of Christ. And I notice He's not saying that when Jesus comes back, He hopes that we're not caught messed up. That's typically how we read this. Oh, yeah, when Jesus comes back, He wants us to, to, to be sincere and without offense. He, you know, where, you, where do you want to be caught when Jesus comes back? What do you want to be caught doing when Jesus comes back? Here, He's, he's talking about even until the day of Christ, which is still out in the future. So He's offering us the possibility of being filled with the love of God and being filled with the holiness of God to have life put back together so that we might live sincerely, that we might live without offense, so that we might approve those things that are essential or excellent, so that we might be, uh, have knowledge and discernment in this life. Paul's writing to a 
a group of Christians that are pretty well Christian. He's writing to a church that's pretty well healthy. But he says, not in the voice of Karen Carpenter, but we've only just begun. He says, we've still got some further up and further in to go. I remember um, the first time I finished reading the Chronicles of Narnia, I got toward the, uh, toward the, the end of the last book. The last book's called The Last Battle. And I remember when um, it, I got down to like the last three chapters, it was gut-wrenching. And I, I, in fact, I remember one of the one of the uh, one of the days that I was finishing up reading them. Lindsay and I were going to doctor's appointments, and I remember sitting in the waiting room, and I'd finish a chapter, and I'd just close the book and sit it down, and whew, I'm gonna take some deep breaths now. As I was counting down toward toward the end, I, it was it was uh, it was a bit emotionally overwhelming for me. But uh, there's there's a chapter where. They've, they've arrived at, at this new Narnia. They've arrived at the new heaven and new earth. And, uh, and there's this refrain through up as everyone's filled with excitement and filled with joy about, about being in this new place. They keep crying out, come on, further up and further in. We've got to keep pressing on. We can't stop here. There's no need to stop. Keep moving. Keep moving further on. There's so much more to explore. And it's almost as though Paul is encouraging his Philippian hearers and encouraging us as the body of Christ today. Come on. You can't stop. Yes, there's rest in Christ. But we've got to keep pressing on. We've got to keep pressing in. There's more that God wants to do. He has begun a good work in you and He can complete it. You have the love of Christ but you can be filled with it. He has made you holy but He can fill you with His holiness. He can keep you blameless without offense. Sincere. So I have a few takeaways for you. First is this. God will never give up on you. Never give up on Him. Paul is an apostle who knows hardship. Calls himself here a bondservant. Paul and Timothy. Bondservants of Jesus Christ. He says, you guys are partners with me there at Philippi, even in my imprisonment. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to hurt. He knows what it is to face difficulties unjustly. He knows what it's like when life is not working out quite how you intended. He knows what it is to be disappointed by others. As soon as you get to the end of this passage, he goes on and he says, there are some people preaching while I'm sitting here in jail. There are some people preaching spitefully and they're using me as an opportunity to glorify themselves and they're using my circumstance as an opportunity to punish me and make digs at me. And you know what his response is? 
praise God, the gospel is being preached. Somebody's talking about Jesus. They may be carnal snakes, but at least Jesus' name is being spread abroad. Lindsay, the kids and I were ran into Wendy's the other night, and um, at, at the end of our meal, uh, Topher had, had spilled a, a thing of Sprite, and I ran up to the to the to the counter and told the guy he had an incredible attitude. What was his name? Ryan. Ryan was his name, and he had already given me a couple high fives. You want to know why? You can ask later. But he had already. He, Obviously, a very positive kid, and he said. Um, so I said, I, "I've got, uh, I, I've got a uh, a problem, and then I've also got a good thing." And he's like, "Uh oh, what's the problem?" I said, "The problem is we just built a sprite. It wasn't that big. It was a little sprite, but it was a sprite nonetheless. And it's we've cleaned up the table, but we're gonna need a mop." And he's like, "Nah, not a problem. I'll, I'll get that. I'll get that. What's the good thing?" I said, "Well, the problem's yours. The good thing's for me. I've got some free frosties here." And he's like, oh, I said, you get the bad news, I got the good news. And so uh, he said, you know what? He said, that's not a problem at all. I see that as job security. And I thought, well, that's a good positive attitude. And obviously the gospel is much more than just having a positive outlook on life. And obviously the New Testament offers us a whole heap of things that can disappoint us in life. And problems and frustrations and things that just don't work out. And churches that are a mess and corrupt. So it's not that the gospel is just all sunshine and roses with, where no rain comes your way. But what the gospel does promise us is that God is always faithful. He will never give up on you, never give up on Him. The second takeaway I want you to have this morning is this. God wants to transform you entirely. Yield yourself to Him entirely. Lord, my life is such a mess. Get yourself then to where the cleansing can take place. If His grace is like a great Niagara Falls of mercy, then put yourself under the falls. Put yourself under the shower where grace flows freely. Put yourself in what the church has historically called the means of grace. The reading of Scripture. Participating in the worship of the church. Prayer. Doing good for others. That's a means of grace in your life, not just theirs. As God begins to turn your heart outward, as He begins to get you beyond yourself, as you get involved in the means of grace, He will cleanse you. And He will not relent. He wants to transform you completely. And so yield yourself to Him completely. See, we've, we in our culture, we are so fast food oriented. We are so fixed on having quick fixes and quick answers and Lord, give me patience, but give it now. We think that a relationship with God is about being one and done. You know? 
Yeah, I invited Jesus into my heart. Life's, life's done. And when life doesn't go as we intended, we throw up our hands. What gives, Lord? We think that being His is simply about giving yourself to Him. That one time it happened. But He wants to transform us entirely. And so we must give ourselves entirely to Him. We must yield ourselves. The last takeaway I want for you to have this morning is this. God will not relent in pursuing you. Never stop pressing into His grace. Yesterday is not enough. Last year at camp is not enough. Last week at camp is not enough. What God did this morning is not enough. Keep pressing into His grace. Keep pressing further up and further in. God is easy to please but hard to satisfy and we are far too often too easily satisfied. But God will not relent. That may sound mean. That may sound nasty. Good grief, why won't Jesus leave you alone? He loves you too much. like complaining that the water keeps seeping across the floor. That's what water does. If you got a leak and it starts, it's just going to keep moving. God will not relent in pursuing you. He will not give up. He will transform you entirely and He will not rest until the work that He has begun in you is brought to completion. So we are called out to. Come on. Don't stop now. Now's not the time to sit down. Now's not the time to be satisfied. There's more. There's more. There's more ground to cover further up and further in. Let's pray.